I'm Kyle. Okay, here's where y'all are so wrong because y'all are idiots. And I'm Drew with a U. As the boss of this podcast, I'm going to say... And I'm Handsome Drew. Oh, I was not listening. (laughs) That is very apparent to everyone on the podcast that you were not listening. And this is not... And this is not... And this is not... This is not the podcast you deserve. Welcome to episode 83 of Not the Podcast You Deserve. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, along with Drew with you and the handsome Drew. And this week, we are talking about Nick Cage's The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, I saw this on opening weekend. I saw it with Drew with you. Crawford, you went out and saw it this weekend, right? Yes, I saw it actually last night at 10.15. So this is fresh for you. Good. Because oh, I really oh, wanted very. to get out and see it again before we did this, just so that it would be fresh on my mind. Um, guys... <sighs> I'm going to tell you something. I, I touched on this a little bit last episode of how I'm mad about what makes money and what doesn't these days in the movie theater. Um, I'm just going to give you guys a ballpark here. Morbius, the movie that I don't think anybody wanted to see, but and it's definitely not the movie any of us wanted to come out. Um, it has made thirty. It made $39 million opening weekend in the U.S. Would anybody like to guess over under what did the unbearable weight of massive talent make in the U.S. opening weekend? Well, based on the fact that when I saw the movie last night, I think eight days after it came out, right, and there were, when I sat down and the lights dimmed, there were no other people in the theater. <laughs> By the time the movie started, there were three other stragglers that entered the movie. No. I'm going to say $12 million. Okay, Drew Allen? Based on the sheer level of enjoyment and quality of film that I got to see when I went and saw Unbearable Weight, I'd have to guess mm, $800 million. And that's just Seven like domestic. $7 million dollars in the U.S. opening weekend. It has grossed up to this point, I think, uh, worldwide $13 million, um, whereas Morbius has grossed now almost $90 million worldwide, I believe. But Makes that just sad. goes to, you know... You slap on associated with Marvel on something, and you get everybody and their mom to go see the movie. That's, Besides us, that's neither true. of us have seen that movie, right? Right. Yeah. And, and Morbius. Unbearable weights defense. It didn't have Venom two to lead up to it, so people didn't really know what they true. were getting into. True. I want um, you guys to know that I am taking moral stances on Marvel movies now. Uh, not the ones you might think. More <laughs> the ones that like I think this is going to be bad, so I I refuse to give you my money. I should have done this for Eternals, and I caved, but I yeah. have not seen Venom 2, and I have not seen Morbius, and I will Good. not see El Muerto. So. Good for you. No, and that's what I really think we need to do as a, as educated moviegoers. We should pick and choose what we spend our money on wisely, because movies like Morbius will continue to be made as long as we go and see them, and great movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent will not be made anymore. Which is, I mean, first off, I think both movies could have used with a smaller title just for hashtag purposes to get trending on Twitter, maybe. Um, But both great movies. Uh, But that's my soapbox. I will now step off of it, and we will just talk about my third favorite movie of the year, uh, which is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Um, Starring Nick Cage in a role where he is playing Nick Cage, um, and also featuring Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Pedro Pascal, and I was doing it off the top of my head. Is there? I don't think there's anybody else that's super famous in that movie, right? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. Haddish. Yeah. yeah, 
a good cast, um, but really what makes this movie great is that they just kind of let Nick Cage be the unhinged Nick Cage that we all want him to be in our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we want him to be that way in real life. And I'm sure he's not really that way, but also I'm not sure. He's I'm not like, sure really that way. <laughs> I want to be clear um, that I'm not sure. So a couple of things that I wanted to touch on uh, first, y'all, about this movie is, uh, well, first off, number one, how much did you love it? Because you had to have loved it. Uh, but how much did you love it? Scale of one to ten. It gets all my love. It was the perfect, like, exactly what I wanted, the perfect manifestation of what this movie could be. They absolutely crushed it. It's clear the people in charge of creating this have or big fans of Nick Cage or not poking fun at him. Like, this movie could very easily have gone poorly in a multiple different ways, but they hit the exact right tone they needed to. They hit the right comedy bone, the right, like, emotional feeling through line to get you to buy into this concept. It was amazing. Yeah, I would say I, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I absolutely loved it for a lot of the reasons that Drew just mentioned, but I had a really great time. It hit on all the nostalgia and poking fun at things that I love about Nick Cage movies. It referenced them, yep. but also kind of memorialized them in a way that was honoring them and poked fun at the ones that deserve to be poked fun at. Right. Because it was, it was like a pretty self-aware movie and I would see it again. That's how leading the theater, my wife and I both said the rewatchability in that is high. That was going to be my next one was rewatchability. Um, and for my money, Con Air and The Rock are Nick Cage's two most rewatchable films. Um, this movie comes in at a strong third. And <laughs> I had more fun watching this movie than I have watching The Rock. I just think The Rock's yeah. like a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but Con Air is so much fun and there's great performances all around. This movie is maybe my second like most rewatchable Cage film. Um, I guess, and, uh, Into the Spider-Verse doesn't count. Because uh, I rewatch that one every day. Um, what about you guys in terms of like rewatchability for Nick Cage movies? Crawford, you already said you'd watch it right now. I know that. Uh, but when you put that up against like The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, um, you know, does this fall up into that top tier as well? Or Gone in sixty seconds? I know you're big Gone in sixty seconds. I was about to say it. Yeah, you really took the uh, took the nos right out of my wind out of your sails. <laughs> That's better. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. I. I would absolutely put it up there with The Rock and Gone in 60 Seconds. And National Treasure, honestly. I forgot about National Treasure, wow. Yeah, I think those are all really strong, rewatchable movies for Nick Cage. Con Air can get old after a while. Face Off can get old after a while. Moonstruck just shouldn't be watched. Leaving Las Vegas <laughs> was good, but you are like need to take a shower after it. You're like, mm. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Raising Arizona doesn't... Like, Coen Brothers really just hit people. You love it or you hate mm-hmm. it kind of a thing. And then he just has so many movies that you're like, why did I watch that at all? Yeah. I don't think I'm going to watch uh, Willy's I haven't Wonderland seen, again. Yeah, I haven't seen Pig or Mandy. Uh, but oh. I know that those get a lot of love as well. I don't know where they rank on the rewatchability, but I would put, for my money, The Rock, Unbearable Weight, and Gone in 60 Seconds, top three. Yeah, I would. It, it's my number one. 
I will rewatch this movie. I'm going to buy it on 4K, UHD, <laughs> all the special features. I want all of the special features. The, the one knock I have on this movie is that the IMDb trivia page is not 800 pages long. I, yeah, there's not enough. I'm I, with you. I want yeah. all of it. I want all of the details. I want all of the on-set stories of Nick Cage being yep. like, this is a funny, crazy story plot line, but actually my real life is way crazier. We should do this instead. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I was really bummed out that there wasn't more on IMDb trivia for me to laugh at after this. Um, my favorite ongoing gag throughout the movie was uh, with Nick Cage saying like, I got to get back. Not that I went, anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I went anywhere. Multiple times throughout. Did you guys, was there like a one like overarching thing that what, you guys thought was great or funny about it? What was his uh, acting uh, talent? His his oh. uh, Ch- 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 Chilean? No, the Chilean? What, that, no, that's... that's. Uh, it, I feel like it started with an N. It's, it it's like the Novu shamanic yeah. acting shamanic, method or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, his shamanic acting. Shamanism. Was, uh, and I actually looked that up after the movie because I was like, oh, I'm interested to know. And about three seconds, I was like, nope, don't care anymore. <laughs> so I, I wish I had done more research now just for this moment, but I did not. That's one of those moments where I feel like they punched up how serious Nick Cage takes his acting, but also maybe not. And I love it, it. Like how meta this movie gets is insane mm. in all of the best ways because it like amplifies the things you love about Nick Cage while also poking fun at them. It's like... A really, really well done roast, but not like pilot. Like sometimes roasts get like where they're just like mean and ruthless. This is just mm-hmm. celebrating him the whole time in the best way. That's just fun to watch. The uh, the look in Pedro Pascal's eyes when he opens up the man cave of Nick Cage stuff <laughs> and just like yeah. how much like how excited he is, but also kind of nervous. Yeah, um, for him to see it, like. That is beautiful, and it is so great. Uh, which brings me to, did Pedro Pascal steal the yep. spotlight from Nick Cage in a Nick Cage movie about Nick Cage? I yes, I I ha- I made that note. Like yeah. I wrote down specifically, Pedro Pascal is so funny and sweet, and sometimes cryptically sinister when he needs to be, mm-hmm. and he steals the show uh, in a movie uh, in a movie that is about Nick Cage, starring yeah. Nick Cage. Yes, that was verbatim. So you start, you stole it right out of my notes. He's never made a bad movie because he is so darn talented. He brings everything he's into up another level. We got to talk about Wonder Woman too at some point, man. Listen, we got to, Kyle. I love you. I'm not putting it on our to do list. And we got to do it. Far be it from me to help you with your argument, but Wonder Woman <laughs> is not the worst film he's been in. Just so you know. Oh, really? Yeah. What is the just for curiosity? What is the worst film he's look, been in? Look up the Great Wall with Matt Damon. Um, anywho. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, but, yeah. No, uh, no. I love that it made an audible reaction out of both of us. That's but good to know. Back, uh, back into my uh, realm of disbelief. Yeah, he's never made a bad movie because he's so talented. And a lot of this movie rests on his shoulders to be, like, our representation. Like, he is all the Nick Cage fans in this movie. And he does a great job of being, like this starstruck fan that we would be if Nick mm-hmm. Cage came out to our villa. Like he does such a good job of being geeky, nerdy, but also like insecure that his super fan, like he's a super fan of this guy and he knows that it's not cool to be a super fan. Oh, it's yeah. so fun. 
Uh, as a guy who once played Romeo in our eighth grade production of Romeo and Juliet, I feel like I have a lot of insight <laughs> into the mind of an actor. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. This is just one opinion. I think it's harder to be an actor who is a good actor who at, in your role has to play a bad actor. <laughs> that scene where Pedro Pascal is, takes him to the cliff and tries to do like an improv oh, yeah. thing to like get yeah. his creative juices going again. Uh, yeah. And he's like, look, the general, do you see him? He's over there. And it's like, that has to be so hard to be a person playing another person who's pre- like really well, who's pretending to play another person poorly. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And I, was, I think the layers of acting there just highlights how good he is. I'm the dude playing the dude disguised as <laughs> another dude. I was saying it in my head the whole time. <laughs> also, no, how- that's a good point. Also, how cute is it when they trade shoes? Like, is that not the sweetest Aww. moment? Oh, yeah. This this movie, and I, I don't know who directed this movie on top of my head. I don't know if it's someone famous. I'm pretty sure whoever wrote this movie, this was like the first thing they've written that's gotten made. Um, they, they said that Nicolas Cage was like really concerned before uh, like getting on set. He's like, is this, how do I, should, should I feel about this show creator? And Pedro Pascal's like, no, no, no. He's he's just like my character in the movie. He's he's just a huge fan of yours. Don't be just a big fan. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, his name is uh, Tom Gormican, and he wrote The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. He also wrote two seasons of Ghosted, a show that was on NBC that I actually liked and was upset that it went off the air. And then that awkward moment. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and that's it. I should have just said that confidently then. (laughs) So whoever wrote this movie and directed it, they picked some really great moments to have character moments between Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage that wouldn't make sense in a regular Nick Cage movie, but it made all of the sense because the point of this movie wasn't putting the bunny back in the box or uh, blowing up the green uh, nuclear warhead ball, ball things before the rock got blown up. This was a movie about friendship and about a relationship and about it, a person connecting. Um, but so the the time they switched the shoes, uh, the, in the moment when Nick Cage is on top of the wall holding Pedro Pascal oh as if like life or death was like at, at stake <laughs> and he drops him and goes, oh God, why? And then Pedro Pascal just kind of walks around. Like the whole time that scene was going on, you knew how it was going to end. You knew that he was going to get up and walk around the wall, and it was, things would be fine. That did it did not cheapen it at all. Like yeah. I still had yeah. a blast. Sometimes when you can tell yeah. that a movie is at point A and like it's going to end up at point B, you kind of like it doesn't matter how long. If it's two minutes. If it's twenty minutes, sometimes you're just like, okay, I know where you're going. Get to it. Yeah. And I could have that scene could have gone on for ten more. <laughs> yeah. I I could have I could have sat here and watched him done like a eulogy over Pedro Pascal's life. <laughs> And like send a send an email to like his his uh, his wife and or his girlfriend or whatever, being like he was a great man. Like that moment could have lasted forever, yeah. and it would have been just yeah. fine. Um, I don't know yeah, if that's the, uh, better acting or better directing, but I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah, I was gonna say that entire scene where they're on LSD is. I think I like ugly cried, laughed the whole yeah. time throughout yeah. it. Like when they see those guys and they make up the scene about like a paranoid thriller and then they make themselves paranoid <laughs> about it. And then when they turn around and go, it's the same guys. And it's clearly not, but they look <laughs> kind of similar. I was just dying. This, um, 
that and then the delivery of why are you stalling just tell me what your third favorite movie is <laughs> yeah he's like listen you're gonna think i'm crazy but it's paddington too that's <laughs> and great then, and then they just both cry through it yeah yes. great recurring bit i almost turned on paddington too last night because it was on amazon prime as i was watching snake eyes um the the way this movie you you mentioned something that made me think of this that this movie does a thing where it's so meta the concept of Nick Cage playing a character named Nicolas Cage he he talks about this all the time in the interview that this is not him playing himself this is him playing a character based on himself but it's it's such a meta concept and in the storyline like the screenplay references screenplays a bunch of the time because they're writing their own movie and so a lot of times they'll talk about this is going to be a movie about this is not like an action thriller. There shouldn't be a kidnapping scene. This is just a, a, mm-hmm. a buddy comedy. I can't remember what they say, but they're, they're writing. It's a it's a character driven yes. movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie is. And then when they yes. get to the third act, Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal meet up and they're like, let's let's go and talk about the third act. And then it cuts yeah. to them driving out to the cliff like mm-hmm. that is because so, they need a hook for the trailer, right? Yeah, and th- there's so many levels working together that are bringing all of them up. Like this movie is so incredibly woven, and it works. It works on every level, and it's on so many different levels at the same time. Oh, so good. Yeah, I I had that same thought. I, this is more meta than any of the examples I'm about to give, but the movie within the movie can sometimes be really good and can sometimes be not so good. Uh, like Sing in the Rain is a classic one or Get Shorty, I think is a great movie about them making a movie. Yeah, yeah. But it's about his life, you know. Uh, Tropic Thunder does a little bit of this as well. But then you also have really bad examples of this, like Hail Caesar, where you're like, okay. ah, you tried really hard and it didn't <laughs> land. Like, don't do this ever again. And then this movie was like, Listen, we're gonna like inception you with movie writing here. Yeah. And it and the guy who's gonna be our Sherpa taking us on this inception journey is Nick Cage. Yeah. The only one I needed. What better? Who better? <laughs> like and and also I don't know if we've even brought up Neil Patrick Harris in this movie, but his cameo role as his agent, I don't know why that works as well as it does. But even like just the throwaway casting of side characters all adds up and makes sense for almost no reason but every reason. I don't know if this movie just flipped my brain and it can make no wrong because I love it so much or if it really – you can tell that the, the creator, the director, and writer just loves Nick Cage as much if not way, way, way more than I do. But man, he crushed it. I remember in the movie theater when it makes that switch from the movie we're watching to the movie they're making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard like two or three people sitting next to me go like, what's, what is that? That's not, you know, like, yeah. I, like the transition from quote unquote real life to them, the movie they were making was so well done. Seamless. And they, it could have been a train wreck and it was not, which mm-hmm. is a miracle. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was, that was really great. And also, um, I think the uh, the the daughter, whoever played his daughter, I thought did a really good job um, in kind of giving you. It, it was a MacGuffin for MacGuffin purposes, but it was a strong MacGuffin and it worked really well. Um, but then that also uh, 
I'm going to use that word again that whatever listener Drew works with doesn't like, juxtaposed, uh, versus the daughter of like the whoever running for the whatever of whatever uh, gets kidnapped or whatever. Spain or something. Yeah, and she has, I think, two lines in the movie. And the first one is Nick F. and Cage. And then the last one is, oh my God, it's Nick F. and Cage. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those are her two lines. And that is, like, if for a character to have only two lines and they're the same and one's at the beginning, one's at the end of the movie, like, that's her whole character. That was just, like, icing on the cake. That's, like, I, whoever wrote this movie, you said his name earlier, I want him to write more <laughs> stuff because that is the sort of thing yeah. that I, I love to see. I, I love to see. it's And it's not, uh, like you're saying, it's not, um, it's not throwaway and it's not derogatory yeah. and it's not, like, oh, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not low hanging fruit. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's presented so well that like it's easy to get to. Um, so those were those were my favorite parts about the movie. Did you have anything else about the movie? Y'all just were dying to talk about. Well, one thing like that moment where the other daughter has her second line, which is foreshadowed by her first line. It also not only is it foreshadowed, and that's good screenwriting, but it also brings you back to reality, which is how crazy. That Nick Cage is saving <laughs> this uh, president's daughter or whatever from kidnapped in a totally different country, and she was watching his movie when she got kidnapped. Like this movie is insane, but because Nick Cage is the driver, you are ready to take every single bend and turn on this road. And because Pedro Pascal is the passenger and driver at some times, they both take you on a wonderful trippy journey and I am there for every scenic part of it. Yep. It's a really great movie. Uh, one thing that I I really liked and I thought the writers spent Tom Gormican guys making my household name. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that he spent a really long time thinking about this. Is How do I get every character in this movie to have a Nick Cage moment? Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing I took away from it is every character in this movie at one point has a Nick Cage action movie moment. Um, Javi when he like jumps out of the van and then like faces down three speeding cars with nothing but two pistols and then like inexplicably makes one flip over. Uh, yeah, Amazing. Vivian, who's yeah Tiffany Haddish's character, uh, gets shot and then like seems to be dead, but then, like, all of a sudden rolls over in, like, slight slow motion and, like, kills the mm-hmm. bad guy, like, right before the heroes walk in. Um, Addie, the daughter, throwing the knife across oh, the yeah. park. Uh, like, ha- somehow has, like, crazy knife-throwing skills that, like, <laughs> never gets addressed. Uh, Lucas, uh, when he does his, like, I'm crazy and, like, I'm gonna kill you with Fruit Loops and then, like, <laughs> I'm gonna, like, tear all of your prosthetics off your face. Yeah. Well, he's, it's like very face off um, Yeah. It like literally he's taking his face off when he's doing like <laughs> it. I, they spend a lot of time being like, what's something Nick Cage might do in this moment if he were that person? Let's do that. that and the wife gets that moment too uh, when they've got Nick Cage by the balls and she's like, kill him. See what I care. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would have done it already. That's yeah. Right. yeah. It's, I did not pick up on that. Crawford, you've, you really are. You're coming along, man. I'm, tr- I'm you. teaching you so much it. in this small uh, amount yeah. of time. We've been I owe together. it all to Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the the other bit we were we were talking about bits earlier. The other one that I feel like needs to be mentioned is uh when Nick Cage talks to himself as To Nikki, Nikki. Yes. 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 Who is like his like late eighties, early nineties superstar. Which like the technology we've seen it with all of um with, the with all the Marvel movies, but yeah. the Irishman as well. Like the technology is there to make it look like pretty dead on. So am I just misremembering what Nick Cage looked like in the eighties, or did, did did they like purposefully not no. make it look too realistic? No, they nailed it. <laughs> okay, really? Okay, so I yeah, need to yeah. go back and watch Gone in sixty seconds again. No, that's not. It's that's too late. You need to go oh. back and watch like Wild at Heart. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, because it was based off of was it was based off of Wild at Heart, yeah. wasn't it? Of yeah. His character, and then gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, because it just really bothered me. It's like that doesn't look like the Nick Cage from yeah. The Rock, and what and then um, was it Vampire's Kiss or something like that? Where he that's where he makes the like crazy face that turns into the meme where he's like, you know, whatever for all of our gotcha. audio listeners. Oh, that you okay, didn't know yeah, what yeah. Face I just made. <laughs> uh, I'm tracking it with was you. Dead on though. But that scene where he's in the bar and Nikki goes, nice. "Good Nick, F yeah. and like really drags it out, and yeah. it's just like makes it so funny. And then he stands up and he kisses himself, yeah. and he, and he goes, great. "Nick Cage smooches good. <laughs> Everybody should know Nick Cage smooches good." I was like, "Oh my god, what is happening?" <laughs> and then he orders another drink. Right? He goes, "I'll have another one of those." I'll have another one. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I would love to, if they had like maybe like a deleted scene. Like not not it does not good enough for the movie. I get it, but like a patron witnessing what is actually happening in that bar. Yeah. I think would be really funny. Um, that that whole interaction reminds me of the uh, Andy Samberg playing Nick Cage on SNL, mm-hmm. and Nick Cage being on it with like in the cage with Nick Cage. Yeah, and he's like, "This is a over exaggerated screaming psychopath who honestly doesn't exist." Uh, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I feel like that's how Nick Cage truly sees that in that moment. Yeah, yeah. he he talks uh, about that in interviews. How like this is totally different than the SNL, you know, exaggerated version. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. Like he like took this role very seriously. Kyle, you mentioned that he like turned it down three or four times mm. or something like that. Yeah, he is supposedly this. So this script, I think in 2019, it made the blacklist, which is like the the everybody's favorite unmade script. And the reason it has been unmade for so long was because Nick Cage would not sign off on it <laughs> for a really long time. Um, which, if just think about that for a second, if you're that Tom Gormican guy and like you've just written this masterpiece for your favorite actor and he won't do it and literally nobody else can do it like it's yeah, yeah. centered around this one guy like you got to know he was every day blowing him up with emails being like come on man just trust me just trust me here yeah, yeah he he's Javi in that moment where he's yeah, like for real. did did you did you read my script like what did you think about it yeah. like, about uh, it? uh like um uh, yeah i'd like to believe that this is the script that he sent to Nick Cage that Nick Cage's agent threw away and then, like, he geeked out about it, got to meet Nick Cage one time, and then they wrote their own movie. And I can't <laughs> wait for the next one. That's what I, uh, I'm really looking forward to whatever this director and writer does next, um, because I think, I, I, I think there's a lot of ways this movie could have been done really, really poorly, and we still would have liked it just because it was Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. But I do think this movie, I, I think I said last week, you have to be a Nick Cage fan to enjoy this movie. And I don't know if that's true. 
I think if this guy had been named Paul Schroeder and it had been, you know, a movie about Paul Schroeder playing Paul Schroeder, then like, you know, it still would have been a good movie. Um, I don't know where Paul Schroeder came from. I don't think I know a Paul Schroeder, but if there is a Paul Schroeder who's listening, you know, <laughs> congratulations. You just found your voicemail for the next 10 years. I don't think anybody who's not a Nick Cage fan did went out to the theaters and saw this movie because it's only made what seven nine million dollars. But I would love to hear that one person who like hates Nick Cage but was drugged to the theater by yeah. their girlfriend or boyfriend or group of friends to watch this movie, and I want to hear their take on it. Like, is it unbearable? Like, does the the meta humor not work if you're not a Nick Cage fan, or is it? Right. Does it still have that same punch of like, no, 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 no. This movie got the tone of how society views Nick Cage so well and has such a good heart about it. Like, I think the heart of this movie is so sweet. Like, it is not ruthless. It is not mean. It is not, you know, like dunking on Nick Cage. It is kind. (laughs) It is love. I don't know uh, how you guys watched this movie or not. Um but I had I went in with like a very like eagle eye like I'm gonna find all the references because I bet <laughs> there are a bunch, and I wrote down all the ones that I thought I saw, and then I found a website later that was like here are all of them ever, uh, and I actually got pretty close. Uh, there were like two that I had never heard of before, and I was like, all right, well, hit me. Uh, well, I was gonna ask you guys, was there a favorite that you had? Like a little Easter egg or a reference to a, a former Nick Cage film that, that you liked from the movie. The bunny in the box uh, from Con Air really touched me. Um, my father, Dale, our listener, went, bah! pointed at the screen and yelled <laughs> and everything. And that was a really touching moment for me. Like That brought back blockbuster movie nights uh, from, from my childhood. I don't know if it really counts, but when Nick Cage sees the wax figure of himself, with the two guns and asks Javi how much he paid for it and then offers him like three times as much money for it. He's like, yes. <laughs> this is grotesque. I'll give you $20,000 for it. Was the greatest moment ever. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I thought it was funny that, uh, you know, we talked about Con Air. Uh, Nikki Cage is actually wearing a Wild at Heart t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's a little one there. Uh, the Croods is mentioned verbatim. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. I love that that got brought up because I always forget that. And I love that the other special agent was like, no, I'm 44 years old. Why the F would I see the Croods? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Showing that Nick Cage has a uh, a wide appeal. A lot of audiences. Yeah. You know, um, I was waiting for my Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse reference, but we nice. never got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't uh, afford the rights to that one. The moment that he walked towards the pool, I was like, leaving Las Vegas, leaving Las Vegas. And then he like sat in the bottom <laughs> drinking the beer. And then Javi jumped in and picked him up. I was like, oh. Javi saves so him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they talk about, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds and Face Off, Guarding Tess. You know, they mentioned all The Rock, Mandy, mm. uh, Captain Corellia's uh, Mandolin. There was a, uh, Javi was like, oh, I love that one. He's like, thank you. It was a very, very underrated. Yeah. I don't know that one. That's how underrated it is. I have it's, not heard of it. It's weird. Um, <laughs> oh, shocking. Yeah. Uh, Moonstruck was mm-hmm. was mentioned as well. Um, 
the name verbatim and the glove I think is in the like little shrine to him. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um Oh, the Wicker Man is at the end when they do the not the bees because he uh, oh yeah, yeah he's yeah. wearing the tarantula belt and he's like mm-hmm. uh, nice, nice. first of all my good friend whatever and he's like you know him Neiman Marcus all right anyway um, <laughs> yeah he wanted me to to wear the bees and I was like not the bees not the bees yeah uh, or a scorpion what anyway um, and then. Oh, the National Treasure poster is in it, and Javi mentions the extra features of like how he does all of his own running. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he also mentions Gone in 60 Seconds, how he did all of his own driving in that, and he's like, I did pop, pop some sick wheelies in that. And he's like, oh, they were so good. <laughs> <laughs> also, when he got in the car and then immediately like drove through the bikes and then got mm-hmm. up on the sidewalk, I was like, well, that feels like The Rock and or Drive Angry. Nice, fair. Nice, nice. So that, that's maybe more of a reach. Also, a little bit feels like a family man, you know, where he's trying to figure out if he's going to be with his family or pursue his career. Mm-hmm. And Javi's character, again, this is me reaching, but Javi's character feels like Lord of War. Okay. Or maybe Lucas's okay. character. Okay, I, I can know. see it. I can see it. Um, I, I, I don't know if it, it is worth mentioning on the podcast, but I feel like Nick Cage took it very seriously. In that his Nicky persona was played, credited as Nicholas Coppola, which is the first time he's been credited as having the Coppola name being tied to the famous director. He's credited as Nicholas Coppola in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's the first time. As like an extra. Yeah. Since then. Because he, he purposely changed his name to not ride the coattails of his Correct. famous yeah. family. I think that's super interesting that in this movie he chose, you know, I'm playing a character based on me and also another character that's in this character's head, and I'll let that character have my other persona. Yeah. Do you? What are you? What are your thoughts on that? Because I find that super interesting. No, I agree. I th- I think it is interesting. I think it is more of a representation to him of. I'm dealing with my movie star side. The part of me that craves being a movie star, craves the attention. That that side would always want to use the Coppola name, right? And he's trying to fight that That's all so the time cool. to be his his normal self. That was really thoughtful because I was just going to say it sounds very Nick Cage <laughs> for him to change his name on the credits of a movie about him playing himself. Uh, would you the- guys like to guess... I was going to say, on that same lines, before, I, I can't wait to guess. But that scene where he's talking to his therapist, I think, is the most... I, I don't know if he wrote that scene or not. I don't know if that was Tom Formican totally just being all up in his head. But it felt like the most heartfelt confession that Nick Cage has had as an actor to the world. I can't remember it now. Will you sum it up real quick? Uh, just when he's talking about... Uh, what he's trying to pursue and why and how he feels about it and you know connecting with his daughter but like trying to show her all the things that he loves mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but then she's like do you feel like your acting talent's gone away and he's like no <laughs> uh, no not 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 at all I, I was impressed by how far Nick Cage was willing to make fun of Nick Cage like his actual self yeah. would you guys like to guess what number of films is this for Nick Cage? Full-length feature films. Mm. 132. 
Okay. I'm going to guess that Crawford's gone with the IMDb number, which is always a little bit bloated. So I'm going to go 85-ish. 87. We'll go 87. According to IMDb Trivia, this is Nicolas Cage's 100th film in a leading role. Wow. I forgot a leading role there at the bottom. That would be why. But even so, if I had said a leading role at the front, I don't think anybody would have guessed. I think it's great. Uh, I think it's perfect, in fact, that his 100th leading role is wow yeah nicholas it's a love letter to himself playing nick cage starring nick cage featured by nicholas coppola and if you're playing the drinking game at home where you drink every time we say nick cage just go ahead and finish (laughs) (laughs) is that anybody anything else cool Uh, no i think I, i think we hit everything uh only that this is a fantastic movie and that everybody should go see it. Spend yeah. your money on this, not Morbius. Yeah. More people go out and buy extra tickets. Like, go to see this movie and buy six tickets, and regardless of how many people you're going to see with, because this movie needs... I just have to assume there, there are more people on this planet that enjoy watching movies that are Nick Cage fans than there are people that have ever read a Morbius comic book. Like, I have to assume that is the truth. <laughs> and so, for it to be this wide a gap between the two movies' box office is just... It really hurts my heart. The, and I don't understand it. The, the fact... Like, I would understand it if this was, like, Season of the Witch era of Nick Cage. Where I feel like that was the... Yeah, the, the 11. Yeah, yeah, the height of him just taking every movie. But <laughs> I, I feel like there's been a little bit... I, I would say a resurgence, because he's never left. But... <laughs> like with Pig especially like that movie was talked about in, for the Oscars like it wasn't you know nominated but people were you know like why wasn't it brought up people it was in the conversation and I feel like Nick Cage has gotten to the point in his career where it's almost come back around like he was a huge action star and then was in every single movie ever and it's kind of like oh why is Nick Cage making all these crazy movies and then it's kind of come back around to like are all of his acting choices actually really artistic and great? And it's the Abed question: Nick Cage, good or bad? I think this it is can't be answered. The culmination of that bit. Go like honestly, as a listener to this podcast, go and watch on YouTube or Netflix Abed breaking down or yeah, breaking down on screen because he's watched all of the Nick Cage films. And then go and watch this movie. Like, That's the longest Google search. You didn't need to do all of that. <laughs> yeah, that was Abed a... Community Nick Cage. Done. Enter. Okay, he gave you the shorthand for it. Do that. And I think you're gonna, I'm gonna really press it in the chat afterwards. I think at the very least you're gonna get a great like uh, experience, if not thoroughly enjoy this film. I don't think you need all of this Nick Cage background knowledge to enjoy this movie, but I wouldn't know because it does you, amplify. If you're not a Nick Cage fan, I haven't heard you talk about this movie. Hashtag the unbearable weight of not being a Marvel movie. Uh, <laughs> nice. And that's the zinger we're going to close on, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Not the Podcast You Deserve. Uh, as your host Kyle, Handsome Drew, and Drew with you. We're begging you, please go see this movie, because we're really hoping there's a sequel someday. Yes, we'll catch wow. you next time. <laughs>